welcome to the Tres Vista Talk podcast, where we engage with senior asset managers and advisors across a broad range of topics. Tres Vista is the leading outsourcing firm for the financial services industry, supporting over 1,000 clients with over 10 trillion in assets under management. Hi, I'm Abhilash Jaykumar, co-founder of Tres Vista. Today we have with us Jeff Mayer, a vice chairman of the Fund Finance Association. The Fund Finance Association is a non-profit industry association in the fund finance market. With over two decades of combined experience and over $10 billion in commitments originated, Jeff and his partner Scott Ali Ali are recognized as two of the most thoughtful and creative bankers in the private equity finance and subscription credit facility space. Jeff and Scott have extensive experience banking and lending to some of the leading PE and VC managers in the world. Their team lends money and performs the day-to-day banking services for private equity firms broadly defined at the fund level, the management company level, and the GP level, including banking and lending to the firm's employees. Jeff, thank you for joining us today. Abhi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. Diving right into it, let's talk about the fund finance industry at a broad level. Can you give us a background of how you specifically work with PE funds and the types of services your team provides them? Yes, I work with a team of bankers dedicated to the private equity fund finance space. And what that means in practice is that we're a group that specializes and has expertise in working with private equity. And that's private equity broadly defined, meaning it can be any kind of fund as long as they have a committed capital base. We we are investment thesis thesis agnostic. Um, We're happy to work with real estate funds, infrastructure funds, distressed debt funds, as long as they have that closed-in capital, that drawdown structure, then that works perfectly for what we're trying to do with our client base. And we are one of the few groups that actually not only works with them from a subscription facility, capital call line of credit angle, but we also work with them in connection with the day-to-day banking. So that's banking the fund entities, the management company entities, the GP entities. We can even bank and work with the employees on their personal banking as well. So it's a holistic offering of banking and lending services dedicated with specialization and expertise in the private equity, private capital space. Let's talk about subscription line facilities specifically for a moment. Can you provide a quick rundown of how the space has evolved up until the COVID-19 situation in terms of credit line repayment terms and the impact on fund performance? Yes. um, So I would say in the early days of fund finance, the early days of capital call lines of credit, um, most managers were looking to bridge between capital calls. And so the credit facility itself uh, was very short, short tenor in nature. Um, you basically could use the fund facility to fund investments quickly, uh, not waiting the, the typical 10 days to call down capital from your LP. So it could give you a competitive advantage in the market where you could consummate a quick deal and then call capital later. In those facilities, a lot of them were cleaned up every 30, 60, 90 days. As as the industry has evolved and more banks and more players and the popularity 
of capital call lines of credit, subscription facilities have come into the market. Those repayment terms have been extended. The managers have, the managers understand that there is an, an IRR enhancement um, feature of these fund facilities, and the longer that you can delay calling capital from your LPs, uh, you can mitigate the J curve of private equity, and you can have a positive IRR effect by delaying calling those calling capital from your LPs. How do LPs perceive the IRR enhancement? Do they perceive it as a real enhancement that they appreciate, or do they see it as something they have to pro forma for when they look at performance? It really depends on the motivations of the LP. Some LPs are judged based on the IRR of the funds that they invest in, um, or make, make commitments to, and so in those instances, there's many LPs that have gotten very comfortable with the subscription facility, extended repayment terms, and are happy with the IRR positive accretion, positive impact that the fund facility can have. Um, there's other LPs that may be situated where they really have committed to a PE manager to have their money put to work. And in those instances, they may like the administrative um, and the organizational impacts of a subscription facility and sort of organizing capital calls, uh, planning for capital calls on a more on a quarterly or a biannual basis. But for the most part, they really are have committed to the manager to have their money put to work, called down from them, um, and invest it. So it really depends on an LP by LP basis. Um, it depends on the motivations of the LPs. But in general, I would say amongst the LP community, whether it's institutional, high net worth, family office, what have you, they've really gotten comfortable with the concept of the subscription facility, and their popularity has really taken off over the last you know, five to eight years. And considering the current situation, are you seeing GPs looking to pay down these lines or draw on them given the dislocation in the current market? And any other recent trends you're seeing with respect to how GPs are using these lines of credit? Yeah, that's a great question. So COVID-19 has definitely impacted the, the world and impacted the private equity world and the landscape. And managers have responded accordingly. I would say in the first couple weeks, um, when there was quite a bit of uncertainty in the market and you saw you know, the stock market up 10% one day, down 10% the, the other, um, you know, there were some additional capital calls that were being made. Um, there was a, some additional uh, fundings on the line, but I would say all within the margins, all within, it wasn't sort of drastic swings one way or the other. Um, maybe the outstandings on our lines of credit went up by 10%. Uh, maybe we marginally saw a few more capital calls. Um, but I think those, that was the managers responding to the changed environment. And so they were either cleaning up their facility um, if, if, it, if, it was, if a cleanup was coming, was coming or they were you know, con trying to consummate deals that they had in the works, um, you know, and wanted to get those deals closed quickly. Um, and then others, I think, were just precautionary. You know, if they had access to a line of credit, they were calling down on that line of credit just to make sure the fund was ready to go in case there were any deal opportunities that popped. 
Given the current situation, has there been a slowdown in the new credit line requests you're seeing, or are your phones ringing off the hook to see how you can help your clients? That's been interesting as well. So after we got past the first couple weeks um, and, and folks realized that it was perhaps the deal environment was going to be slower than, and it was going to be slower for an extended period of time, we didn't see the, the rush of drawdowns or the rush of, of deals. Um, but I would say there has been within the last week, week and a half, quite a few managers coming to market, especially in the credit markets are, 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 are the distressed credit markets. There's been quite a few managers that have come back to market raising opportunity funds, uh, raising dislocation funds, you know, raising a sub fund that was part of an existing fund or an annex fund um, to take advantage of, of the opportunities. We have some funds amending their LPAs so that they can, you know, I had one manager, you know, because of all of the dislocation in the market, especially in their industry of expertise, they amended their LPA so they could put, you know, 20% of the fund's commitments into public companies um, because they saw an opportunity there based on where the public market was trading for their particular niche. So there's all sorts of things going on, um, but it has created uh, quite, a, quite a bit of uh, busyness for, for my team, both on new opportunities and with existing clients. And regarding LPAs, do you typically find that you're putting these facilities in place at the moment the fund is raised in parallel with negotiating the LPA? Or is it something that often happens after a fund is launched? We both, I would say both, but we like to get involved early. And especially if a fund is still drafting their LPA, there's certain language that a lender who's in my shoes would like to get into that LPA to make it crystal clear that the fund can put a subscription facility in place and it can pledge their LP's commitment as collateral for the loan. So if we can get involved early, even if a fund is out raising, we can go ahead and close on a loan and as new commitments come in, we can build in an accordion feature so that we can raise the size of the line based on those new commitments coming in. And we can go ahead and hardwire, pre-wire this all into our loan agreement. So for us, it's great to get in early and develop that rapport and also be a trusted advisor with that client and make service provider recommendations based on our knowledge and our experience in the industry. Interesting. Now, one key topic everyone is likely interested in hearing about is liquidity. And this applies from both the GP as well as an LP perspective. GPs are likely assessing the liquidity situation of their existing portfolio companies and LPs are assessing how much and how soon liquidity will be needed for future capital calls. What are you hearing in the market? Yeah, there's been a, quite a bit of communication. I think the industry overall has done an 
excellent job of, of communicating with each other. So you see quite a bit of communications between the GPs and the LPs. Um, I've heard, you know, some managers are having weekly calls with with their L, with their LP constituents. Um, you know, so the communication has been great. Um, obviously, the GPs are going um, portfolio company by portfolio company and analyzing the situation and see what the liquidity levels are like and seeing if there's a need there. Potentially, they could use our line of credit. Potentially, they could put additional capital. You know, the PPP and the SBA program uh, was, a, was a big focus there for a while. So there's quite a bit of analysis going on on a portfolio company basis, and it's and it's industry specific, you know, um, travel, travel, hospitality, you know, you know, real estate. There, it's very, it's very focused, you know. Obviously, energy, and, and and so depending on where the portfolio companies are and where they're at in their life cycle, they may have various liquidity needs. You can use our subscription facility to facilitate a loan down to the portfolio company. We call them portfolio company notes or subsidiary notes, whereas the portfolio company is the direct borrower and the fund is the guarantor, and you're using the concept or the construct of the subscription facility to put that line in place. So if there's any portfolio companies that have liquidity needs and the fund's willing to guarantee a loan, it's a great product for putting a bridge in place for a portfolio company to, to work through the next 12 to 18 months. Well, that's really interesting. I'm sure many portfolio companies would love to be able to avail of lower cost of capital in times like these. Now, are portfolio company notes something new that you guys are doing to address the current situation? Or has that been a product that a few folks are aware of in the market already? I think there's an awareness level. It has been out there and it has been done before. It works better in times like this when the financing markets are a little tighter because the idea is that if a portfolio company is strong and stable it can traditionally go to a to a bank or a traditional lender and get a loan from that bank um, and they're going to be able to get you know decent rate decent terms decent pricing decent structure uh, when the credit markets are stressed as as they are and the credit markets markets tighten up a little bit or the banks become more conservative, sometimes some portfolio companies, especially now the ones with liquidity issues um, and maybe their short-term liquidity issues, some of those portfolio companies could use a little bit of extra time to stabilize themselves and then go back to the traditional financing markets. And our loan, because it's guaranteed from the fund, is something that one, it's it's relatively cost efficient and cost and cost friendly because it's a cheaper form of financing with that fund guarantee. And then two, it allows the portfolio company time to work through, stabilize, get to a place where it can go back to your traditional financing partners and get and, and essentially refi out the subscription facility, which gives the portfolio company that time to do such. Interesting. You know, at Trust Vista, we work closely with a lot of the CFOs of our clients, kind of as an extension of their team, both on management company accounting as well as fund administration related activities. And one of the disclosures we come across when supporting our clients monitoring covenants is the callable capital attributable to defaulting partners. LP defaults is likely a sensitive subject, but how do you perceive your risk in 
the light of how other asset classes have trended, equity markets specifically with the denominator effect, and how, in your view, can GPs and LPs work together to ensure capital calls are met timely and that the LPs have plenty of notice? Great, great question. Yes, um, you know, obviously, you know, we touched on communication and, and communication is key. Um, LP defaults, um, rare and um, extremely rare under, under normal circumstances, under COVID-19 and stress circumstances, um, the industry itself was, was, was fearful that maybe, you know, this could be, things are, are so different that this could be a time when we see LP default. And so far, so good. Touch wood. We, we've, we've been extremely lucky in that from all of the bankers and industry participants that I talk to, no one has really seen any LP defaults. Um, and where they have it's been very sort of late payers, administrative issues with folks working from home, um, you know, maybe a high net worth individual uh, with a liquidity issue, but that high net worth individual makes up less than 1% of the overall commitments to the fund. So, you know, you know, there was definitely some concerns with some LP defaults, but so far, so good. The industry has performed, and hopefully it stays that way. I think a lot of it, as you mentioned, the public markets, a lot of it, you know, you know depends on the confidence that folks have in their own portfolio and their own liquidity management. Um, and, and, the poor, and the public markets have come back. Um, and so maybe some of that stress, maybe some of that liquidity crunch, maybe we're, we're through the worst, um, but, but, but who knows? You know, another area we help our GP clients is in monitoring the impact of the cost of leverage on performance. And you earlier spoke about how subscription lines can enhance IRRs. How has the change in the interest rate environment since the onset of the pandemic been reflected in new business? Yes, I do think, and that, that's a great service that, that you perform on behalf of your clients, by the way, um, you know, because as a lender, we're always looking at leverage, leverage thresholds, um, and when times are stressed like this, we're also, you know, sort of reevaluating, you know, our, our leverage threshold. So that's a great service that you, you provide on behalf of your GP community. Um, but, but to the point of your question, I, I do think that we have seen pricing trend up um, in response to COVID-19. I think some of the banks have reevaluated re the portfolio um, and definitely sort of reevaluated the risk of the portfolio. And you have seen pricing trend up. Um, I think a lot of banks are sort of working with their existing clients um, and have been somewhat slower or somewhat, you know, not, not as apt to take on new business. And because of that, you've seen pricing, you know, trend up, I would say anywhere from 25 to 75 basis points. Um, so, so definitely some, a trend that, that we are seeing across the board. Now, let's talk about scenarios. Assuming we start to turn a corner in the back half of the year, what are your expectations on GP behavior as it relates to leveraging credit lines to put money to work given likely lower valuations? Yes, we are hopeful and we think that there could be quite a rush of deal flow in Q3 and Q4, 
making for a very busy fall and winter. We're hoping that things normalize a bit and that a lot of transactions that were close are folks were looking opportunistic at opportunities because of the revaluation of assets. Hopefully that pushes through to Q3 and Q4, the financing markets, the ability to get deals done comes back and there's a flood of deal flow and we're working, you know, 24 hours a day to, to, to work with all of our clients to help support them in getting their deals done. Conversely, if we see a protracted shutdown along with worse than expected portfolio valuations, where do you see the JP shaking out in the same context? Yeah, I think you may just see, um, you know, the the beauty of private capital, the beauty the beauty of private private markets is that you you have the time to work, um, and and so you can ride through these trends even if they're prolonged. Um, so if COVID nineteen tends to be worse and we're all still stuck at home. Um, then, then you may not see as many deals. I think there's a lot of price discovery going on, um, and, and that's a big component of whether or not these deals are going to be able to get done. If the buyers and sellers can't agree to valuations or can't agree to price, it's going to make it very hard for this scenario, this other scenario where there's a flood of deals in Q3 and Q4. So hopefully that price discovery sort of shakes out and fo there's willing buyers and willing sellers and hopefully they, they they marry up and we see that we see that scenario where there are a bunch of deals um, but in the absence of that and if financing markets are still strained um, it may it may just be slow for a while at some point it will come back and the beauty of private capital is typically you have the 10 years or so to to work the assets and and execute on your investment thesis and so you know that's that's one of the things in in for all of us that we should feel very fortunate to be a part of this industry indeed well, Jeff, thank you so much again for joining me today. This has been a really enlightening conversation, and I think our audience will really appreciate it. Again, Jeff Mayer, Vice Chairman of the Fund Finance Association. If you have any further questions or would like to connect with Jeff or myself, feel free to reach out to us. Jeff, thank you. Thanks, Abhi. Thanks for the time today. It was a great conversation. I hope that your group, I hope, I hope that your constituents of, of clients and prospects enjoys, and hopefully we can do this again sometime. Certainly. All right, Jeff. Take care, everyone. Be safe. And with that, we come to the end of this episode of the Dresser Star Talk podcast. Thank you to our listeners, and we would love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you access podcasts. Please follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter to stay updated on additional content. To know more about how we support our clients on due diligence, business development, portfolio management, fund administration, data analytics, and other areas, feel free to visit our website and reach out to us at www.tresvista.com. Any information, opinions, and recommendations presented by our speakers are their own and do not represent the views of their firms or Tres Vista and should not be constituted as investment advice.